Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 this morning. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at uh, just a few verses. Verses 28, 29, and 30. Romans chapter 8, verses 28, 29, and 30. Uh, I came in uh, while Drew was doing the announcements. I heard him doing uh, announcing about the WCA sheets, and then I did not hear him announce about the women's Bible study. So I think I need to do that, right? So uh, this is not on. Is that what you're telling me, Brian? Hmm. Yeah? Okay. So, uh, ladies are starting a uh, new Bible study. I believe it's on First Peter. It starts on March 22nd, which be, would be a week from Tuesday. And uh, they have homework for you. How's that? Like homework before you ever even start, okay? You know that's going to be good. And so if you are signed up for that Bible study, they have the homework here this morning. And after the service, you can get it from Jan Blocker or Chris Arney. I see Chris in the back. I think Jan is in children's church. I think she's going to be cutting out a little early. And so if you are one of those people that are signed up for that Bible study or are planning on attending the Bible study, make sure you get the uh, resources from them so that you can get ready for that. They're also going to have a sign-up sheet in case you need a ride. I believe those are the two things that we're signing up for or that you need to... Uh, to get your homework, and then also if you need a ride. So be sure and grab that material if you're part of that study. Okay, Romans 8, verses 28 through 30 this morning. Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Father, we thank You for all of Romans 8. God, it has been such a joy, such a thrilling adventure as we travel through this chapter. Uh, week after week, Lord, you piling your gifts of grace and mercy and hope upon us. And Father, I pray that we might receive those. God, give us hearts this morning that receive your truth, that embrace these spiritual realities. God, I pray that your spirit would be our teacher this morning. Please work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been talking about hope, all right? So last week we were um, in verses 18 through uh, 27. And uh, it was all leading up to kind of the verses 24 and 25. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is not is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So, um, we've been describing in the last couple weeks this incredible inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, last week, I don't know, maybe it was my pitiful attempt, but I tried to kind of illustrate uh, things that we have right now, right, in Christ. We have the Spirit of God, we have forgiveness, we have adoption, we have all those things right now. Uh, if you're a believer, you have those 
and then extending into eternity, kind of beyond the curtain, okay, beyond the veil, where Christ is, where He's seated, where fellow heirs with Him. We have this mother load of inheritance that's coming to us. And so basically, what we were trying to illustrate or trying to teach from Romans 8 is that we have lots of things now as believers that God has already given, that we are experiencing now, that God is doing in us now, and then we have even more immeasurably more stretching into the future, okay? So all of that is meant to just fill you up with hope, okay? Which is a powerful thing. Um, just think about how, how different your life is when you have something coming, you know, that you are hoping in, right? So maybe next week you're going on your dream fishing trip or, you know, next month you're going on your uh, dream honeymoon vacation or, or maybe you're getting married, you know, in two months or, or maybe you're having a baby in a month or maybe you're having a grandchild in a month. You know, th- those type of things, whenever you have those in your immediate future, it changes your present, right? Am I right about that? Like, like that, that changes the way that you see everything because you have this, confident expectation of good things to come. And so what Paul's been doing in in Romans 8 is just week after week, he's just piling on the, the certainty of God's continued immeasurable blessing in your life because you're joined to Jesus, right? That, that's what he's been doing, right? If the Spirit of God's in you, if you're joined to Christ, if you're, if you're led by the Spirit, then you're a son, then you're an heir, then you're a fellow with Christ, you're adopted, you have an inheritance, you, you know, you, you, you're, what's coming for you is immeasurably greater than any difficult thing you might have to endure. I mean, all those things he keeps pressing on us again and again and again. So we, we ought to be a people that, are filled up with confident expectation, just anticipation, looking, stretching, waiting, right, for all these good things to come. But many times we aren't those people. Why? Well, life can be kind of a hope crusher, can it? Right? I mean, right? That, that's, that's, that's probably the best way to put that. Life can be a hope crusher. Um, what I'm talking about is that we can have difficult, hard things that hit us wave after wave after wave, and, and they shouldn't, but what they have a tendency to do is kind of fog up those good things to come. So we begin to not see ourselves as this hopeful good things to come, but rather these crushing things that are on our life right now. You know, I, I love to I love to ride bicycles. I loved a road bike. I loved a mountain bike, and somehow that just did not get genetic. My wife like overwhelmed me with all of her genes. Like she like our kids. When you look at our kids, they're really you know like like her genes win every time. You know, and so they they didn't get that. I guess the love for bicycles. Um, my son will ride. My my daughter Hannah just. Just this last year, right before she left to England, I really kind of got her enjoying bike riding. We would go out early in the mornings, but you know, before that, not really. But well, one of the things in, in, in my parenting that's this has been horribly deficient is teaching kids to ride a bike, you know? And so with a couple of our kids, it went okay. But with a couple of them, it just, it wasn't, you know, I'd get them all hyped up and, and, and then we'd bring in, usually for a birthday present, you know, the new bike, you know? 
And man, it's just, it's new and it's got, you know, for the girls, a basket and little twirlies and sparklies and, you know, and, 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 and right away, there's this hope, you know, this, this, this confident expectation of good things to come, partly because I'm telling them how great it's going to be, you know, and, and all these times we're going to have riding together and, you know, father-daughter time and, and it's, it's just going to be great, you know, and, and there it sits in the garage, all right, tomorrow we're going to go learn to ride, you know, and, and then tomorrow comes and, and, you know, it's, you know, I, I love there's a commercial. There's a commercial right now on TV, and, and the little boy says, Mom, don't let me, you won't let me go, right? She's like, no, I'll be there for you, you know. She lets him go right away, you know. I mean, I, I want to say, you liar, you know. And, and, but anyway, she lets him go, and off he pedals, you know. It's like, he got it, you know, first time. That's just not the way my experience is gone, you know. It's like, you know, I let him go. I was like, you got it, you know. Tears, cry, skin, blood, you know. And... And this, all right, it's okay, it's okay. It's, it's part of it, it's all right, you know. Now you're going to get it. You just keep, you know. And man, it's, you know, I mean, kind of what's happened is, you know, about five times of the blood splatter on the pavement and like the hope is gone, you know. They walk into the garage and there's the bike and there's not this confident expectation of good things to come. It's like, you know, ah, it's a kind of a, a reaction of, of, of terror, you know. There's, there's the bloody machine, you know. Keep me away from it. And that kind of happens sometimes to Christians. So, you know, we're, we're assured and promised of all this, this hope to come. But then life has a way of just kind of crushing us in that. But what, what I want to show you today is that it doesn't have to be that way. It's, not, it's actually not supposed to be that way. Let, let me give you an example. So here's an example from Paul who writes both Romans and what I'm about to read you in 2 Corinthians. But here's an example of his own life, okay? Uh, incredibly difficult things that were hammered upon him, okay? So 2 Corinthians 1, 8 is what I'm going to start reading. He says, We don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. Okay, so are you getting it? Affliction, burden beyond your strength. So that's the one like your burdens go beyond what you have the capacity to carry. Okay, that we despaired of life itself. That's pretty bad. What's Paul feeling here? He's despairing of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that, that is all the stuff he just told us, was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he, now he's talking future, will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Okay, now that, that's just an example from the Scriptures, a real-life example of how crushing burdens in the life of the Apostle Paul didn't extinguish his hope, it actually flamed it up. Alright, now, how does that happen? Well, that happens through verse 28. Okay, Romans eight twenty-eight. Verse you know, famous verse, maybe you got it cross-stitched on your pillow. You know, it's one of those kind of verses. And we know that for those who love God... All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Okay? That's how Paul was able 
to remain hopeful through the crushing waves of difficulty that came on his life. All right, now let's unpack this verse, okay? So verse 28. And we know, okay, first of all, we know, okay, that this should not be uh, unfamiliar to you. Uh, in Romans 6, we, we heard this all the time. Paul says in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Um, verse 6, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with. Uh, verse 9, We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Um, over and over again, uh, verse 16 of, of chapter 6, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone... Okay, so, so this is a familiar phrase to us, right? When Paul says, Don't you know... Or we know. What's he saying? He's calling on you to embrace spiritual realities. Okay? He's not really talking about, do you know these facts? He's assuming you already know them. Okay? And so what he's saying is, hey, I want you to grab on to this spiritual reality by faith. Okay? So, we know. So grab on to the following spiritual reality by faith. Now, what is the spiritual reality? Well, the spiritual reality is that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Okay? For those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, th- th- there's an important word, okay? It's the word for, F-O-R, and, and it occurs two times in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And then, again, for those who are called according to His purpose. Okay, those are two important fours, all right? Because what, what they tell us here is that what Paul is telling us, the spiritual reality that all things work together for good, is not for everybody. Okay? And we're going to see that. It's not for everybody. Be, be really careful about the promises of the Bible. Uh, first of all, look for them. Okay? Look for them. Hunt for them. If you're a believer, hunt for them. Look for them. Grab onto them. Okay? Because they're, they're, the, they're the gasoline to your life. They're going to fuel. They're going to they're energize your spiritual life. But make sure they're for you, okay? Um, because what he's telling us here is that all things don't work together for good for everybody. All things work together for good for, and then he gives two categories of people. It's actually one category, but two characteristics, okay? For, number one, those who love God, all right? Those who love God. So all things are going to work together for you if you are a person who loves God. If you are a person who's in a relationship Father, Son, we talked about that early in chapter 8, type of relationship with God. Okay, the, the people who love God are the people who are joined to Jesus, who've seen His glory, His character, His work, and they trust Him and they've come to love Him. We saw way at the beginning of this series in Romans 1 that the root of sin is people don't value God. They're not interested in God, right? That's what Romans 1 told us. You know, we live in a world full of people, and every one of you were, at least at one time, this person. We're not interested in God. Man, we, we chase everything but God, you know? We chase money. We chase pleasure. We chase, you know, experience. We chase adventure. We chase all this other stuff because we're not, we're not convinced that God really is very exciting. We're not convinced that He's that great. That, that's the way we all enter into this world. That's called sin. Every sin in, in your life is a result of that factor that you don't trust and value and love and see the glory of God. Okay, now, when, when a believer is transformed, that's what fundamentally changes in us is, is we see His glory. We see, wow, okay, that's who God is? Wow, I, I want Him. I, I, I trust Him. 
Man, He's done all that for me. He will do all that. That's who He is. Oh, wow. I keep saying wow. Colt says wow all the time. That's his new word. You know, wow. You know, wow. He's puppy bark. Wow. Okay, so evidently it's rubbed off. Okay. Um, we see his glory, and, and so we're drawn to him. And, and now all of a sudden, you know, Psalm 42 is a deer pants for, for streams of water. So my soul longs for you. We, we desire God now. Psalm 73, 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there are nothing on earth I desire besides you. Now, now all of a sudden we are drawn to God. We trust God. We worship God. We think about God. We, we read his word. We, we want to be in his scripture. Lord, show me what you, what you say. I want to trust it. Now we begin to love what He loves. First John 5, 1 tells us one of the primary characteristics of a person who loves God. How can you tell? Is, well, here's how you can tell. They love His people, right? They gather together and they're patient and they bear with one another and they, they work hard at spiritual relationships. Why? Because that's God's child. And because I love God, I'm going to love Him. I'm going to love her. Right? How else do you know? Well, well, John 14, 21 tells us that those who love God keep His commandments. Why? It's, it's, it's not like we're earning it. No. It's because we trust Him. Right? We, we've seen, oh, that's who you are? Wow, you're, you're awesome. You're good. You're everything I need. And you said that, I'm going to trust you. Okay, those are things that characterize people who love God. And so, verse 28 says, all things are working together for good to those who love God. And the second part here, for those who are called according to His purpose. Called according to His purpose. Again, this is one group, not two. Those who love God are called according to His purpose, and those who are called according to His purpose are those who love God. Now, this word called, I'm going to take a moment and just try to explain or or give you a little more insight into it because it's an important word in this passage, especially when we get down to verse 30. But the word called here... Um, basically means God is pursuing and has initiated a relationship with you. Okay, it's the it's the spirit of God's work in your life. It, the the word is he's not using it in 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 the sense of you heard something with your ears, right? He's not using it in the sense of kind of you heard the invitation to salvation. Now, how do I know that? Well, I know that because look at verse thirty. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Okay, so everybody who's called is justified. And everybody who's justified is glorified. And so we know that he's not using the word called as in when I get up here and say, hey, come to Jesus. Because here's the reality. Everybody who hears me say, come to Jesus, is not justified. Man, I wish they were. Wouldn't that be awesome? Everybody you share with at work, you know, when you're, when you're in the break room and, and you have your, your opportunity, someone's really struggling with life and they come to you for help and you say, man, let me share with you the greatest thing in my life. Let me share with you the greatest news that, that, that's ever come to me and you share it. What's the reality about that? Not everybody who hears that is justified, right? The word justified means to be made righteous by God, okay? So he's not using the, the term called in, in, in the sense of just to hear something, all right? Like, hey, come to Jesus, all right? I'm calling you to Jesus. It's not in that way. He's using it in, in the way of God calling people into himself in the sense of God initiating and drawing men and women to himself. 
Okay? He, he, he's using it in what theologians call the sense of an effectual call. Right? It's like when Jesus comes to, to the cemetery and, and, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. All right? What happens there? It's, it's not just like Lazarus is laying in there napping and he hears, oh, I think Jesus is outside, you know? I better go see who's here. That's not what happened, right? He's dead. He's four days dead. He's like beginning to stink. That's what his sister said, dead, all right? It, it's that kind of dead. And Jesus calls him with an effectual call. In other words, the call of Jesus himself brings Lazarus to life, okay? That's who he's talking about. That's what he's talking about here, Okay? And, and so he says, those who are called according to his purpose, all right? And so, so in other words, God has initiated a saving relationship with you for a purpose. This is really important. If you're here today and you were saved, you were saved for a purpose. It, it's discouraging when people have kind of the notion that God saves for no reason. It's like, hey, God saved me just so I wouldn't go to hell. You know, he, he put his spirit in me. He died on the cross for my sins. He, he put his righteousness inside of my account for no reason, just, just so I wouldn't go to hell. But he really doesn't have any particular plan for me. You know, he just saved me and said, hey, there you go. You're saved now. Go, go about your business. Do whatever you want. No, not, that, that's completely not the spirit of the New Testament. The spirit of the New Testament is, is that you are saved for a particular purpose. And that particular purpose is found in verse 29. Okay? So, verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, here it is, conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. If you're saved here today, why were you saved? You're saved to be conformed to the image of Jesus. You're saved to bring glory to God by reflecting the character of His Son. You are saved to become less and less like you and more and more like Jesus. Now, this again, this is not new to us, right? We've been learning about this uh, for the last several chapters. Hebrews 6, 4 says what? It says it's a baptism picture. We're buried with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 11, same chapter, chapter 6. He says, So also you must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Uh, again, in chapter 8, this was just a few weeks ago. Verse 13, If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. All those are really describing this process by which God is making us like Jesus, Right? He's, he's freeing us from the chains of sin. He's, he's changing our heart, giving us a new life. He's, he's helping us to put to death the deeds of our old flesh and to become like Christ. And, and so, so the purpose for which we're saved is to become like His Son. Okay, now, let's get back to our promise here. Verse 8, 28. Uh, for those who love God, all things work together for good. Those who are called according to His purpose. All right? So if you love God and if, if you're called to become like Jesus then here's the great promise for you. Here's the thing that should keep your hope alive, even in hope-crushing times, is this. That God is working all things together for good. I'm trying to be real specific this morning. What are the all things? All things are all things. Um, all the trials, all the suffering all the sharing of Christ's life, all the living in a broken and groaning world that we talked about last week, 
all of that, as well as the victories and successes and the good fortune and the rescues and, and everything, everything. But I think he's particularly talking about trials, right? Because that's kind of the, the, the theme of this section. We start in verse 18, the sufferings of this present time. Not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed. Okay, so, so Christians are not immune to difficult times. They are going to come. We, we've learned that. We live in a broken world. We live in a groaning world. We live in a, a world that's groaning under the weight of sin, death, and corruption. Okay? So bad things are going to happen. In fact, and we'll probably get here Easter Sunday, but look ahead in chapter 8 to verse 35. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall, listen, listen to this, tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And now, when you look at those words, distress, nakedness. This is not nakedness because, you know, you got home and you're, you know, getting comfortable, okay? This is nakedness because you, you, you don't have any clothes. Like, everything's been taken from you. You know, you, you're, 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 you're cast out. Sword. What's a sword for? It's to cut you up. Slaughtered. Slaughtered. We, we just don't know much about that. Those orphans that we support in Orissa, India, they know about that. All of their parents were slaughtered in 2008. Systematically chopped up. They understand that. Those are bad things. So, Paul is saying all those things, everything we're going to experience in this life, God is able to work for good. Now, be careful. Again, I, so I, want there, I don't want there to be any misunderstanding. Is, is he saying all things are good? No, not at all. So don't be one of those people that's like, you know, well, you're sick, but it's okay. God works it all together for good. It's okay. No. no it's, it's sad when you're sick, you know. Don't. There's a lot of horrible, terrible, beyond imagination, wicked things in this world. As a pastor, I have sat with people in situations so evil and so painful and so demonic. I couldn't get my mind around how horrific this thing is. I had this happen this week. I drove away saying, man, every time I think it couldn't get more evil, it couldn't get worse, it does. So God's not saying those things are good. Those, those things are terrible. Those things break God's heart. But what Paul is saying here is that God is able to take even those things, in general, all things... And then there's this phrase, work together. Okay, together implies there's something else, right? There's another force, okay? The other force there that's that's taking all things, okay? So you have all things. You got victories, successes, defeats. You got trials, tribulations, slaughter, okay? But then you have God as the other factor coming in and, and he's able to work together and shape that and redirect it into producing something good in your life. Think about wind. I would say in general, wind is not my friend. You know, uh, I don't. 
especially in joy wind, you know, it, sometimes it destroys things, sometimes it kills people, sometimes it uh, wreaks havoc. Uh, in general, it produces just kind of an uncomfortableness uh, most of the time. Sometimes it's pleasant, uh, but most of the time, if you're, if you're a bicyclist, it's just, it's not your friend at all, you know. Um, it, in general, it's not good, but there's a lot of ways to bring another factor in, a sale, for instance. You, you can bring a sail in and you can work together with wind you can go anywhere in the world by something else powering you, right? Okay, that's, that, that's what God's doing here. Okay, so God is, God is coming in and he's, and he's taking all things and in his sovereign, incredible, beyond imagination power, he is working together with every circumstance in your life and he's producing good. Now, what is good? What do we define as good? Okay, Let, let's say there, there's something certain and there's a surprise, right? So what is the certain thing? Because that, that's the thing that we want to make sure we understand. The certain thing is, what, what, what good is going to come absolutely for certain, without a doubt, positive, 100%? Okay, what, what good thing is going to come? Well, it's in our text, okay? God's able to work all things together for good. For those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. What is His purpose? Verse 29, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. Okay, so the, the good that we know God is going to do is he's going to use every hard, difficult, good circumstance in your life and God is going to use that to make you more like Jesus. Okay, to, to conform you into the image of Christ, to give you the mind of Christ, the love of Christ, the life of Christ, the character of Christ. Okay, that's a certain thing. Now, then there's the surprise thing. What's the surprise thing? Well, if I, if I knew what it was, it wouldn't be a surprise, right? So we, we don't know what that is, but, but we know what the certain thing is. But then there's also a surprise thing. So let's work this out, okay? So you lost your job, okay? You lost your job, and then you apply for what you think is going to be your dream job, right? Like he's just like, oh, wow, this is everything Colts really had an influence on me. This is everything that, that I ever wanted in the job, and, and it's the right pay, and it's the right hours, and it's the right everything, and wow, God's put this in our lap. And so you apply for it, and you go to the interview, and then you don't get the job. Okay, now, what might we do? We would, if you're, if you're a believer, you, you might quote Romans 8.28, right? You know, your friend says, hey, I know you're discouraged about that, but look, Romans 8.28 says, we know that for the love of for those who love God, and I know you love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, I know you're called according to His purpose. So you know what? You didn't get this job. That must mean, here's where Christians go wrong. That must mean you're going to get a better job. Is that necessarily what that means? Not necessarily. Now you could. It could. In fact, lots of you would have testimonies where you're like, hey, that happened. That happened. I thought this was my dream job. I didn't get it. I was really discouraged. I said, God, it's in your hands. And then two weeks later, the real dream job came. And, and, and the guy that got that other job, you know, man, the, the company closed down in a month. Wow, look what God did. Okay, but that's a surprise. Okay, but the certain thing is, is that through the disappointment of not getting that job, God is for sure going to conform you into the image of Jesus. He's going to take that disappointment and, and he's going to work 
in various ways to cause you to be conformed to the image of Christ. So that might mean he, he causes you to be more dependent upon God. Or maybe He causes your prayer life to be stirred out of complacency. Or maybe you learn the true commitment. Maybe the first time in your life, you learn to, to really be content, you know? Or, or maybe, maybe you gain victory over a lifelong struggle with anxiety and worry. Or, or, or maybe, maybe He takes the circumstances of your life and, and He shapes them into Christ-like humility. Those are certain. And maybe you get a better job. That's a surprise, right? But, but the one thing is for sure to happen. So you have, you have certain things, you have surprise things. So let me, let me give you an example of this. So when I was a sophomore in college, I believe it was, um, we were attending a church uh, called Spring Hill Baptist Church. Um, I, I made friends with the pastor at school. Uh, he was kind of mentoring me. We loved it. Little Bitty Country Church in between Springfield and Bolivar, Missouri, um, out in the middle of nowhere by the city dump. That's always where you want to put your church, you know, is by the city dump. You know, that's where Lincoln Avenue is, huh? Okay, that's where you always want to put your church, by the city dump, okay? And um, about 35 people, average Sunday attendance, 40, maybe 50 on a great Sunday. Um, pastor is in college with me. We're both college students, okay? One Saturday night, uh, teenagers came through rural um, Missouri there and went church to church in these little churches broke in, stole what they wanted to steal, doused the place with gas, and lit it on fire. And they burned church after church in one night. Okay, So we wake up the next morning and our church is burned to the ground. Okay, now, what do we know? Well, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So we know, first of all, that God is going to take the circumstance of our church being burned to the ground, and He's going to use that to... For those in that church who loved God and who were conformed according to His purpose, okay, He's going to build up our faith. He's going to make us more like Jesus. That was the certain thing, and that happened. You know what the surprise thing was? Uh, a, A gentleman in Springfield hears about it, reads it on the news, and he gives us a piece of property right in the booming area of Springfield, right where everybody's beginning to build, okay, in Springfield, Missouri. And then somebody else gives us a financial gift to begin starting to build a new church. And then as we begin to meet in our temporary facility, God begins to bolster the attendance so that we double and triple by the time we're in the building. And then by about three years after that, we we are running not 35 or 40, but about 400 and the church grows to about 800, and then we get our youth pastor and our worship leader out of that church, okay? That was a surprise. And God, God is, what I'm telling you is God's going to do surprises like that, okay? Expect them. I, I bet you have stories. Okay, but, but what I want to come back and make sure you realize is the thing that is promised here is that God is going to make you like Jesus. The reason I'm pressing that is, you know what happens when you don't get the job? And then you don't get a better one either. Like, you don't get the job until you're like, okay, God works all things together for good. And then the next one you get is, ah. what, what happens to hope sometimes there, right? If, if you have kind of a bad theology, it could, you could think, well, God's not working. Well, no, God is working. God is working. God's, 
God's doing the best thing. Okay, so let's continue to unpack this. So maybe you got a family member who gets sick. All right, Romans 8, 28, right? So, hey, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. What does that mean? Does that mean, hey, they're going to recover and be healthier than ever? Maybe. Maybe. That, that, but that's the surprise part, right? What, what's the certain part? Well, the certain part is that God will use your sickness to conform you to the image of Christ in some way. In some way. God's going to do that. He's going to make you into the image of his son. Now, surprise things may happen. Maybe the sickness actually saves the marriage. Maybe the sickness keeps one of the children from rebelling in a lifelong rebellion against you. Who knows, okay? I mean, those are cool surprises. I'm not trying to douse those. God is going to do those things. But what I'm telling you is the first and foremost thing God's going to do, the promise here, is that God's going to use everything in your life to make you more like Christ. And, and let me ask you this. Is that good? Is making you more like Jesus good? <laughs> Who's the happiest being in the universe? Who is that? If you say Joel Osteen, just because he smiles a lot does not mean he's the happiest guy in the universe. Jesus! Jesus is the happiest guy in the universe. Okay? Who's the most at peace? Jesus. Who's the most holy? Jesus. Who's the most perfect love? Who has the most perfect love? Jesus. Who's the wisest? Jesus. Who's the most delightful? Jesus. Who's the one you want to have on an adventure? Jesus. Who's able to forgive to the greatest degree? Jesus. Who is perfect in every... Jesus. Why would you not want to be like that? You know, we, we, we shoot too low. I mean, so many times we're like, wow, if I had air conditioning in my car, then I'd be, you know, really? Like that, that, that's, that's your high shot, you know? God, give me air conditioning, you know? I mean, air conditioning is good, but wouldn't you rather be like the, 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 the preeminent being of the universe and have this inner fulfillment of joy and happiness? That's better than AC. So don't just look at circumstances. Want to be found, want to be like Jesus. Now, in addition to, again, the certain, which is you're going to be conformed to the image of Christ, and the surprise, part of the surprise also is that God works on the good of others through your trials. God's able to weave those things so that He makes you more like Jesus, gives you these surprises, and also works in other people. Case in point, Joseph, okay? You can't talk about Romans 8.28 without talking about Joseph, right? Terrible, horrible things happen to Joseph in the Bible, right? He is betrayed by his own brothers. I mean, how would you like it if your brothers are like, you know, you go out to check on him, you go to visit him, they're like, hey, surprise, we're selling you into slavery. I know, actually, we're going to kill you. Oh, no, hey, we can get a little money out of you. We're going to sell you, okay? That's what they do. They sell him into slavery. They tell his parents he's dead. They, 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 he's sold into slavery. And, and then in slavery, he is betrayed and falsely accused by his master's wife. And so he's imprisoned. I mean, it just gets worse and worse for this guy for 17 years. And then, Joseph is in the exact right place in the exact right time. And he interprets a dream for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh raises him to be the second in command to Egypt. And there's a huge famine coming. And Joseph's wisdom and godliness saves the entire nation of Egypt. And ends up saving his own family from starvation and extinction. So, 
well, let me read you what he says here at the end. Genesis 5, 50, 20. Genesis 50, 20. As for you, he's talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Okay, now, what good? What's the certain? We know that God used all of that to conform Joseph into the image of Jesus, right? In fact, Joseph's a cool example of that because Joseph's one of those guys that the Bible uses as kind of a preview, kind of a coming attraction to who Jesus is going to be. Let me, here's some cool things about Joseph's life. He's beloved by his father. He's rejected by his brethren. He's sold and betrayed for pieces of silver. Okay, reminding you of anybody? Huh? Jesus, right? He's tested and tempted and yet remains faithful. He's highly exalted to a place of power. He's used by God to deliver and rescue God's people and then he forgives those who, who afflicted him. I mean, literally, like Joseph looks like Jesus, right? Okay, so that happened. Okay, so the good, the certain good happened in Joseph's life. But then, surprise, there's even more. Okay, God uses him to rescue the Israelites through whom the Messiah would come. And so Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now, one thing that's going to trip you up as, as you think about this verse, is the when, right? Because what do we want to do, right? When we endure a hard thing, we're like, okay, okay, Romans eight twenty eight. you know, for those that love God, all things work together for good. Okay, um, now please, right? That, that, like, God, if you would just give the good right now, both the make me more like Christ and go ahead and give me the surprise too, if there is one, and do, do something in others. And I'd like that in the next 10 minutes because I'm really bummed, right? I mean, that, that's what we want. Um, what we see is that you, you don't get to be in charge of timing. I know that's frustrating, isn't it? But we don't. You know, for Joseph, it was 17 years. 17 years before he was exalted out of prison. The Scripture's full of people that... We could say those things that look at those times. But listen, don't count on immediately. Sometimes it will be immediate. You know, those are the great testimonies in church, you know. I did this, this happened to me yesterday, this happened today, you know, and everybody cheers. And those are good. But, but remember, God sees the big picture. And God is able to use everything in your life to bring hope. I know we don't have a bunch of time, but look at verse 30. Okay, verse 30 is this. God's just reminding you that you are headed for this glory and nothing can stop it. Okay? Okay, that's what verse 30 is all about. So verse 30 says that those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, that last word, glorified, That's what we've been looking at for the last two weeks, three weeks, okay, right? Indwelt by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. That means you're a son. That means you're adopted. That means you're an heir. That means you're a fellow heir with Christ. That means you have an inheritance. First Peter says it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. The redemption of your bodies. We talked about that last week, right? Like, we're getting rid of this old carcass that's inclined towards sin, and we get a new body that has the capacity for fullness of joy and pleasures forever to enjoy the riches of the new heavens and the new earth. That's all coming. That's, that's all packed into the word glorified. 
Okay? And what verse 30 says is that once God starts the work of salvation in you, nothing can derail it until glory. Okay? I mean, isn't it cool that this doesn't say, and those whom he predestined, he called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and most of those guys make it to glory. Oh, that'd be terrifying, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? If that said most of those guys, you know what I'd be thinking? What if I'm one of the ones that doesn't? But that's not what he says here. Those whom he predestined, he calls. Those whom he calls, he also justifies. Are you justified today? Are you justified? Do you, do you have, are you made righteous, made just by the blood of Jesus Christ? Okay, if you are, if you say, yes, I'm justified, listen. And those whom he justified, he also it's in the past tense even. Like it's done. Right? And that's the way the Bible talks about it. Like you have this inheritance already. It's waiting for you. It's done. It's accomplished. You're an heir. You've inherited. You just, we're just heading to get it. No one's left behind. No one who's a believer. Now, a couple implications real quick. Ah, hope I have time for these. Um, indomitable joy and hope. We're just going to leave that one because I think I've already talked to you about it. Get this one. People who believe Romans 8.28 are able to forgive. They're able to forgive. Why do I bring that one up? Because it comes up so much when I talk to people. Okay? So when, when you've had hard things, slaughtered, sword. Nakedness, distress. When you've had those things in your life, man, you, you know how hard it is to forgive and to go on with your life in hope? Okay? So why, if you believe Romans 8.28, are, are you more able to do that? Well, first of all, you're able to put those people, that person, in God's hands. All right? God's able to take care of them. Justice. We'll talk about that in Romans 12. Justice. I don't have to... I don't have to I don't have to, I'm not the justice police. I don't have to carry it out. I don't have to punish them. I don't have to hate them in my heart and try to project that on them and wish bad things. I don't have to do that. God is in the, he- in the heavens. He is just. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Okay. Sure is God. But, but then there's another obstacle. Even if people are able to do that, a lot of times they're not able to really forgive and move on because they're like, yeah, but look at this gaping hole in me. Look at this. Who's, what about this? I can't, I can't move on because what about this? All right. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Is God able to work this? Is he somehow able to turn that with a sail and use that to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Is he able to do things in you that maybe would never have been done? Is he able to produce a capacity for glory that maybe would have never been there? Yes. And may there be a surprise. I don't know, maybe. But we know the certain. We know the certain. Now, one last thing. I've got I to close this way. 
Listen, if you don't love God and you're not called according to his purpose, this is not for you. Okay, I, I, don't, I don't say that to be mean, but man, I, I say that just because I, I want you to repent. I want you to turn to Jesus. I want you to see that he's your only hope. Okay, because because if, if, he, if he's not your hope, then I guarantee all things will not work out for you. Right. In fact, they may seem to be working out right now. Like, like everything may be just, you know, running awesome for you. Like everything you touch turns to gold. Okay, that's it doesn't matter. Ultimately, things will go very, very, very badly for you without Jesus Christ. All that you built will unravel. All that you hold dear and hope in and cherish in will be ripped from your hand. Without Jesus, without a father-child relationship with God, without the indwelling Holy Spirit, things will not work out. In fact, every good thing in your life will one day simply be used as judgment against you that despite your blessings, you continue to reject the God of the universe, the God who made you, the God who's given you every good thing and every bad thing in your life will be evidence that even despite difficult times, you did not turn to God. And so if you don't love God, and if you're not called according to His purpose, then things are not going to work out for good. Not ultimately. And so I invite you today. This is Jason's call. Remember, this one doesn't have the power of God's call. But God uses people like me and you when we call. I call you to Jesus. I call you to come. I call you to, to turn away from whatever you're trusting in and whatever you're loving and whatever you're pursuing that you think is going to make you whole. And I tell you today, Jesus is the only thing that will fill you up. Father, I ask you to send your Holy Spirit, Lord, to take those words that that truth about Jesus, that He is our Savior, that He's our King, that He came and lived the perfect life and died a substitutionary death. God, that You would take those words and that You would call men and women to Yourself. And Father, I pray that You would give great hope today, great hope in what You are doing and will do through every circumstance in, in the believer's life. God, fuel our hope in Christ's name. Amen.